Well, if you guys got your Bibles, I invite you to open up to Psalm 104, and uh, we're going to take a look at uh, a psalm that uh, praises God, blesses the Lord, because of His sovereignty, because of His providence. And so, one of the unique things that we can see as we do a study through Scripture dealing with the sovereignty of the providence of God, the concept that, that God's in control. Okay, I, I have a tendency to have what I would consider a high view of God, meaning I, I'm okay with God being in control. I'm okay with, with sometimes I look at events going around the world and I, I never look at them in light of a concept that says God has lost control and man's messing it up. What I see is God's sovereignty. And, and the reason I see that is because, man, that is all through Scripture. Everywhere you go, Scripture is going to declare the sovereignty of God. That God is moving and working and accomplishing His, His will uh, on earth. And the psalm, Psalm 104, is one of the psalms that, that uh, is basically an eruption of praise from God's people in light of the fact that, that God's hands are on things. It gives me comfort. Maybe it doesn't give everybody comfort, but, but I'm comforted by the concept that the things in my life aren't random occurrences. Okay, the, the naturalist, materialistic view of the universe is that everything's random. And different, uh, different random events linking together, causing, you know, whatever chaos is going on in the world. But the Bible flies in the face of that, tells us that, that the universe is created with uniformity. That, that we can always count on the sun coming up tomorrow. We can always count on sunset. We can count on things working as they've been working throughout the universe because God ordained it. And it's established the way he intends it to be established. And events that occur in my life that I don't like or that, that cause me struggle just bring me back to him. Brings me back to him because ultimately I, I see the fingerprints of God on things. I think God's in charge. And so I wake up in the morning to report for duty. And, and I don't always know how that day is going to work out. And sometimes there are things... They're really hard that, that we have to deal with. But the way I choose to deal with it is to, is to see what Scripture says about the Lord as being true. God's hand is on it. This is His day. This is the day that the Lord has made. I'll rejoice and be glad in it. It's this day, His day. He, he's got a purpose and a plan and, and things coming together for it. And, and so when we do that, I think it enables us to enter into a place where this psalmist is. Psalm 104 kind of ties together with 103. Um, we don't know the, the, the author of 104, whether it's David. David was 103. But it certainly, you can see it followed the same, the, the same uh, suit, right? Bless the Lord, O my soul. Uh, same thing we saw in Psalm 103. Um, but as we look at it, we're going to see that, that the blessing, the eruption of praise is a result of God's hand being on things. So we come to verses in Scripture, like Romans 8, 28, for we know all things work together for good to those who love God and the, are the called according to His purposes. So Scripture declares we are, we are in a relationship with God. 
We, we are in love with Him. He has called us. The things that are going on in our life aren't random. It's God working, moving, um, using us and our circumstances to bring glory to Him and grow us up. Help us become the men and women that God wants us to be. And when I think when we find that, that's the place I'm able to rejoice. The Bible calls to rejoice always. And again, I say rejoice. It doesn't say rejoice because life sucks. It doesn't say rejoice. It's been, a, I, got, I got fired. I'm going to rejoice. But yeah. <laughs> but what it does tell us is to rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Why can I rejoice in the Lord? Because you got this. This day when I lost my job, you, you saw coming. Wasn't a surprise. And you have a purpose and a plan to get me through it. Or this day when this accident happened. Or this day when whatever was going on, it wasn't something random. It was part of God's purpose. And God's working out through that for His glory and my good. And that enables me to be able to praise. I mean, I like it. But I can praise, I can rejoice, because God knows what He's doing. And He's infinitely better than me. You know, I don't know, when I was younger, maybe I thought I could do a better job. But after a few years of running my own life, I wasn't too good at it. I just assumed somebody else did it. And so, I see that in in the hands of God. Well, let's take a look at it. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great, for you are clothed with honor and majesty. Who cover yourself with light as with a garment. Who stretch out the heavens like a curtain. So as we look at it again, I just want to bring to your attention how many times the Bible is using proper name of God. Right? We have, bless the Lord, capital L-O-R-D. Oh Lord my God, capital L-O-R-D. That's Yahweh uh, Adonai. Yahweh Adonai. So uh, Yahweh Elohim sometimes he'll use. But the same concept, he's proper name this is not an arbitrary name for god this is god's holy name yahweh jehovah uh jehovah's probably bad because there's no j in hebrew so there's a yeh sound that's why they say yahweh or yehovah yeshua uh for jesus but we we look at that i just want you to see they that's what he's praising right bless the lord bless yahweh bless bless him all my soul, everything that is within me. Why? Because you're clothed. He's covered with honor and majesty. Remember a, a little while ago, we were going through all the Psalms that talked about the reign or the kingliness of God. And that's what he's pointing to. You have honor and majesty. He's, he's painting that picture of God as his king. It's interesting because a lot of people struggle with the concept, guys. But when we come to Romans 10, 9, and 10... When we talk about salvation, right, that, that you confess with your mouth, what? The Bible says, Romans 10, 19, confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. What does that mean? So, so for me, that means you're, you're confessing that Jesus is Lord. It's not the same idea of saying, you know, I believe that Jesus exists. That's great, but James would say the demons do that, but they're not saved. Right? The demon's theology, in fact, is a lot better than ours, isn't it? I mean, a demon, he, he knows a lot better the attributes of God than even you and I do. But what is it that, that Paul is declaring to us in Romans? To confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord. Kyrios, 
That's the word Kyrios in the Old Testament in the Septuagint. That is a substitute for the word Yahweh. Confess that Jesus is Lord. is your king. And that God raised him from the dead. And you'll be saved. That's what the scripture declares. Confess that Jesus is Lord. One of the mental pictures that I put together with that is the idea of bowing. So when I, when I which, which again in the New Testament you see over and over and over again with the Greek word proskuneu. Proskuneu means to bow down. How, we, we go, if we work through a, a study on the deity of Christ, we're going to talk about all the times people bowed down to Jesus. And there are people who will say, well, they're, they're not worshiping, they're just bowing down. Well, pay attention to what the Bible is saying. When John fell down on his knees, bowed down before the angel, what did the angel say? Whoa, get up. What about when men bowed down before Paul and Silas and what it, oh, get up. Or Paul and Barnabas, get up. Well, how many, whenever that stuff happens, what is it? It's, it's, the word is proskuneu. It's the word used of worship. And, and the Bible says in the Old Testament, the equivalent, that you will only bow down to the Lord. And nobody else. We look at the book of Daniel. We're, we're going to be starting Daniel on Sunday mornings. Kind of excited about it. But we're going to look at a story about uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? We're going to look at the fact that they would do what? What wouldn't they do? They wouldn't bow down, right? Oh, what people nowadays say, well, what's the big deal? You know, just, just think in your mind that that's not really your God. Who cares if you bow down or you don't bow down? You bow down and... And you have peace. But that's the same reason 6 million Christians died in the birth time of the church from Pentecost forward. Because they wouldn't do the same thing for Caesar. Bow a knee and say Caesar is Lord. Or bow the knee before Nebuchadnezzar. Why? Because bowing the knee is a symbol of worship. So when we confess the Lord Jesus, confessing that he is Lord in me, there's a mental picture for me that I bow my knee to him. He's my king now. I'm uh, looking for a a great, biblically-minded candidate for president. That'll be my focus. I always vote the Bible. If the guy doesn't line up with the Bible, he don't get my vote. Some people say I waste my vote, but one day I'm going to stand before God, and I think my voting record is going to come out just like some of them congressmen and senators do. And when it comes out, I don't want it to say I voted for the guy I thought was going to win, but I voted for the guy who I thought was would follow the word of God. It was a godly leader, right? The Bible talks to us about having godly leaders. Why is that? Because I bow my knee. Jesus is Lord. He's not just Lord on uh, Monday or Sunday or Wednesday. He's Lord 24-7. If he's not Lord 24-7, I would say he's not Lord, right? So that concept of submitting, bowing. So when he says, look, you're... You're covered with honor and majesty. It's a picture of God. Yahweh is king. And this person proclaiming his praise is saying, look, I bow before you. You know what you're doing. Number one problem in our world today is for the most part, everybody's pretty sure that God's got it backwards and we need to, to do it different. So they exchange light for dark, dark for light. Right for wrong, wrong for right. Right? But it's different when we bow the knee. We bow the knee before God. We, we proclaim Him as our King. Look at verse 2. You cover yourself with light as with a garment. The scripture declares to us that with God, 
There is no darkness at all, right? None. Zip. Zilch. He's, he is light. He is, one. in fact, one of his attributes, one of the attributes of God is that he is light. Pure, perfect light. So he's, he's uh, clothed with light as with a garment. And you stretch out the heavens like a curtain. And when he says that, when you stretch out the heavens like a curtain, what's he saying? You're the creator. Why are you king? You're the creator. You're perfectly light. There's no darkness in you. There's righteousness and holiness and glory and majesty. And when we (laughs) recognize all those things about God, it brings out a desire to praise him. Which takes us back to the beginning. Bless the Lord, O my soul. All of me wants to bless all of you. You're the creator. You put all this together. And really, that's where this whole psalm is going to go. You put it all together. You you put all the pieces together. In fact, in verse 3, he lays the beams of his upper chambers in the waters. Um, Another way the Bible says the same thing is he's enthroned above the waters. Think in, in Hebraic thought. And also Old Testament thought, where, where, where was, we, not only do we have the sea, but where else was there a firmament of water? Right? In the heavens, right? They would talk about the firmament of water. Now, you know, that comes down at the time of the flood, but you have that picture <clears throat> of this firmament of water. and his, his throne is above it all. He's over it all. So even if you bring it down to the sea, his throne is over the sea. The throne being over the sea or your upper chambers over the water means you're enthroned over. You're in charge of it. You control it. You control it. He's in control of, of it all. Who makes the clouds his chariot. Same kind of an idea, right? The concept of, of chariot is a, is a symbol of governance. That he governs the, the clouds. That he rules over the waters. Who walks on the wings of the wind. Same idea, right? Who can walk on the wind? Well, God. God, that's, that's all His, uh, that's all within His control. With His hands are upon it all. Who makes His angels spirits and His ministers a flame of fire. <coughs> Sometimes it's helpful to recognize Sometimes when, when in the Psalms it uses that phrase, a flame of fire, it's a picture in their minds in Hebraic thought of lightning. For me, I always thought of like a you know, flame, flame on a, a torch or something. But, but their idea is, is uh, lightning. The, the picture of them uh, being like lightning. Boom, they go. They're the ones God sends out, right? That God sends forth. Um, we see this verse, verse 4, is quoted for us in Hebrews 1.7, describing the fact that Jesus Christ is superior to the angels. Now, now he's going to move in, in, in verses 1 through 4. He's really describing the sustaining power and uh, um, throne room of God is being established in the first four verses. <clears throat> and then he's going to give a, a portrayal of creation, a poetic portrayal of creation as we begin in verse 5. You who laid the foundations of the earth so that it should not be moved forever. He set the earth. The only time the earth will stop being the earth is when God says it's time for it to stop being the earth. Until then, it will go. It will continue. 
He laid it. He set it. He put it together. You covered it uh, with the deep, like with a garment. So the idea, covered it with the deep. There, there was a time in creation, as we work our way through the creation account, that we have the foundations of the earth, but we have the waters around the earth. And who is it that set the boundaries of the sea? Who is it that divided the land from the, from the water? Dry land from the sea? It was God. It says the, the waters stood above the mountains. And at your rebuke they fled. So you got water around the world, but it's God's rebuke. It's God saying, no, water, you're over there. I'm going to put some there, I'm going to put some here, I'm going to put some here. And the water went where he said. Why? Because he's sovereign. He's the king of the universe. And the only people who don't know he's the king of the universe is mankind. The water knows. The wind knows. Creation knows. It is all a part of God's, uh, and all within God's ultimate control. So at your rebuke they fled. At the voice of your thunder they hastened away. In fact, then it gives us a picture of, of the water. Like the water being told by God where to go. Look how it says it. It says, it went up over the mountain. So if the water was down in the valley and God said, I need you on the other side of the mountains. The water went up over the mountain and down the other side. Water goes where God says. It's that kind of sovereign control that's being described in Psalm 104. They went down into the valleys to the place which you founded for them. The water goes where God says the water goes. When we talk about the sovereignty of God, we're also talking about the providence of God. And that in the providence of God, we, we know why things do what they do just from natural causes. But what the Bible says is even the natural causes are the providence of God. They wouldn't be natural if it wasn't God's setup. It's His. All His. All under His control. All within His hands. All a part of, of His purposes and plans. Look at verse 9. You have set a boundary that they may not pass over. That they may not return to cover the earth. So remember, after the flood, God gave a promise, right? He set, if it sounds like Joe, he sets the, the was it? No. Oh, is it a phone? Oh, okay. He sets his uh, um, rainbow in the sky, a, a covenant, the promise that God made that, look, I'm not going to flood at all. I've got it. I, 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 that judgment is not going to come. The Bible tells, according to Peter, that the earth is reserved for what judgment next? Fire. At which time the, the elements will melt with a fervent heat. What, what there is in this creation, from the fall forward, is this creation, the heavens and the earth and everything around it, has been tainted by sin. Right? you got Satan who has been in both places. you got you got a, a variety of issues, and the Bible tells us that one day there will be a new heaven and earth. And the old heaven and earth, what happens to them? They'll pass away, right? They're gone. New heaven, new earth, new purpose, new plan, as God continues uh, to move forward with it. And so, from the beginning to the end, I see time as decreed by God no surprises right how is it that God's able to tell us the end from the beginning 
Well, there's only two possibilities. He knows every possible possibility, and so that's how he's able to do it. Or he decreed them all, and it follows according to his plan. And I think Scripture lays out for us the concept that God's ultimately in control. He knows where time's going. Same way he set the boundaries of the sea, I think he sets the boundaries of a lot of things. Yeah, this far and no further. Or he lets it, you know, go to to whatever point those boundaries are at. But I see God ultimately in control of all those things. And I think that's what this psalm is painting a picture of. God knows what he's doing. Does he know more than me? According to Isaiah 55, he does. Right? What about, is he, is he able to, is, he, is his wisdom outside of my uh, rational understanding? Yeah, sometimes. <laughs> Probably more often than not. So I can trust that God is good and holy and just and righteous, right? I don't have to be afraid that there's darkness. We said already, he's clothed in light. There's no shadow. There's no darkness with God. There's no evil. We can trust. And then verse 10, he describes again his, not only that he created life, and he set the boundaries for life, but who's the one who sustains it? He's the one who sustains it. He sends the springs into the valleys, and they flow among the hills. The idea of springs, water, the the water in the mountains, the water in the creeks, that sustains life. That's God. That's God's purpose and plan, not random. God put it there. God planned for it to be there. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. By them, that's the springs, the birds of the heavens have their home. Why? How do the birds have home? Because of springs. Because of water the trees. And what happens to the trees? They grow. So where's the birds' home? In the branches, right? From... Trees that receive their sustenance, their sustaining power from God. Who is not just, he did not just create, spin it, and back up, and he's sitting in a lazy boy watching it all happen. (coughs) But the scriptures describe to us a God that is intimately involved with his creation. Who is watering it, who is feeding it, who is caring for it, who who is a part of what's going on in it. They sing among the branches. He waters the hills from his upper chambers. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your works. So the sustaining of the earth. That's the work of God. God is working and moving and, do, and, and, and is, is uh, a part of it. Now, <laughs> is there nothing a part of that, that's, that that is man's? What did God say to Adam and Eve when he put them in the garden? Yeah, he said, take care of this. Right? You go take care of it. You, you take care of it. The resources are here. The, 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 uh, the earth is being cared for and tended. But we, as mankind, also had a responsibility, right? We had a responsibility through Adam and Eve to take care of the garden. And we still, is that responsibility passed? Are we not supposed to take care of the garden anymore? Or are we supposed to? So, I don't think that's changed God's purpose for mankind. 
Uh, not that that's not the only thing that we do, but certainly there's a, there's a place for man in caring for his planet, right? What about if that planet's reserved for fire? Shouldn't we just burn it all out until the fire comes? Well, I suppose you could do that. I learned a long time ago. Got my first job, and I got a paycheck, and I took Kathy out to the movies and spent it all in one night. Now, what put gas in my tank the next day? Oh, that's not no good. That doesn't work. Dad, I need gas. Don't you got a job? Yeah. Well, learn to put gas in your car. I can live just burning it all out, right? But what do we learn just like we're created in the image of God, right? So those same attributes and attitudes that God takes with his creation have been given to us. We can ignore them. We can push them out. We can say, I don't have any responsibility for it. Or we can recognize, you know, there's a plan and a purpose for all this stuff. And there's a way to utilize the things God's given me that is wise. And there's a way to utilize the things God's given me that's foolish. And the wise man builds his house on what? The rock. Who's the rock? Jesus Christ, right? So who, what direction are we following? His. The fool builds his house where? In the sand. It don't stand, right? It falls down. So we want to follow that purpose in, uh, that God has written on the hearts of men. That we would be like Him, right? We would reflect Him. We see Him caring for the universe. We see Him watering and tending and, and taking care of things. So, so that's, I think, when, when the Bible says that we're created in His image, we reflect the, the perfection of God. Imperfect vessels reflecting, you know, an imperfect reflection. But nonetheless, if we follow Him, I think those things naturally would, would flow from man. <clears throat> now he goes on, verse 14, again, the providence and sustaining of God. He causes the grass to grow for the cattle. That's God. <clears throat> and the vegetation for the service of man that he may bring forth food from the earth. All part of God's purpose and plan. All part of, of what God has. Verse 15, And wine that makes glad the heart of man, and oil to make his face shine, and bread which strengthens man's heart. So three things that he lays out for us. He gives, mine, he gives man wine for the uplifting of the heart. That which God created to be good, and to be something that could be utilized by man properly, what does man do with it? Distorts it, right? Ruins it. That's why we have scriptures in the, in the Proverbs that deal with uh, um, what wine does when it's abused. Yeah? Are all three of these things able to be abused? Sure they are. He gives oil. What was the, the concept of oil? Oil was for the appearance to make man's face shine. The idea, oil, oil, I, uh, I actually oil this crazy beard of mine. Um, other people, they put on makeup. Or people got a certain way that they comb their hair, they take care of their face. The same idea, it, it's given by God to men. Given for your appearance. Can that be abused? Sure it can. Sure it can. It can, be, it can all be abused, which takes us down a road of sin, right? 
But it was given to us by God as a good thing. Here's a good thing. Oil for your appearance. Wine to uplift your heart. And bread. Bread, food to make you strong. All the things that man needs, God gives. But the devil's good at taking all those things and distorting them. And we can see those same things become the destruction of man, can't we? And man can use them for destruction. Verse 16, he says, the trees of the Lord are full. Uh, A Hebrew literal rendition would be the trees of the Lord are well watered. The trees of the Lord are well watered. Full. They have everything that they need. What's the picture being painted? Poetically, just a minute ago, he said he gives man wine to uplift his heart, oil for his appearance, uh, bread for strengthening his heart and make him... Make, so he's saying, look, I, just like I water the earth, just like I take care of the birds and the bees and the trees and the flowers, I take care of man. And then he describes it in verse 16 by saying, look, the trees of the Lord. Did you know there were trees of the Lord? Interesting phrase. Anyway, you slice of means out of, from. The trees of Yahweh are well watered. The trees of Yahweh. When's the last time you walked through the forest and thought of the trees that way? The trees of Yahweh. And you, and you think, you know, uh, so we got the new place with a, with a new uh, wood-burning stove, and I'm out of wood. Because, uh, you know, we didn't have a wood-burning stove uh, in the summer, so I didn't go cutting a wood. So, don't worry about us. We got wood coming on Saturday. But this year, when I go to Stanley, I pull my permits and I go cut wood like we did the first couple of years we were here. We'll go up and we'll we'll cut the wood and we'll uh, bring it back home. I don't want to see it like I did the first time I did it. But that that's God's provision for me. That's Yahweh's trees. That he decreed would die and be used for wood to heat the homes. Doesn't that make you want to praise him for him? Doesn't it make you want to praise him for, for what he's given us? Rather than just seeing it as a bunch of random things. Oh, it's a good. I'm lucky that that tree died right there. You know, and it was close to the road. That's even better. Because when you got a hump way off the road and then drag the tree to the road, that, that's a little different. So, so having that ability to praise God, that, that this is Him. The cedars of Lebanon, which He planted. Who planted the cedars of Lebanon? Yahweh. They're His trees. Where the birds make their nests. The stork has her home in the fir trees. The high hills are for the wild goats. The ibex. One of the coolest things you get to see when you come with us to Israel we go to En Gedi. Um, I love the sites in Israel that aren't giant churches. If you come with us and you're looking for a tour through all the giant churches of Israel, you might be bummed. Because I try to avoid those places like the plague. But when I can go to some place like En Gedi, which literally means the goat or wild goat, and it's where David hid in the caves... It's not a place like it. It's where David hid in the caves. 
And we hike up this canyon, and you look to the left and the right, and there are caves all over the place. And you look up, and you think, man, that might be that cave. It could be that cave that he was sleeping in when Saul came in and, and was sleeping down on the ground. David crawled down. So, so we have all these stories that come to life. And you think, why did David come here to live in the caves? And you look, and there's this huge waterfall. If you go to my Facebook page, um, you'll see a picture of the waterfall at En Gedi. So this just amazing waterfall that you can stand under. It's just cool. Getting swim in the in that in that water. Um, and the time of year we go, we may not want to. But um, I'm I'm probably gonna. How many times you get to do it? Yeah, I'm, I'll go swimming. So uh, cold or not, but um, it's just cool to be there. And and while you're walking through there. You'll look up in a tree. Just picture a big round tree. Big. And on the top, not in the bottom, in the branches somewhere, on top of the tree is a goat. <laughs> An ibex, a wild goat. You know, with the, they have the horns like they, that they blow. Um, by the way, they smell like uh, dirty socks so putting your lips on it is a, a little bit of a challenge because you're like oh woo-hoo, that's that don't smell good but maybe if you uh eat a bunch of wild cherry cough drops and blow in it it won't be so bad at some point but they're on top of the trees oh you look at a tree and instead of seeing a bunch of birds there'll be 10 goats on top of it it's a trip but that's what, when you see the psalmist talking about this here, and he's saying, look, he's got the, the store, or home for the stork and the birds, and the high hills for the wild goats. And before you think them wild goats are just trucking on the hill, they're in the dang trees. It's crazy. The cliffs are a refuge for rock chucks. That's what it is. They call them rock badgers, conies. I got news for you. We're sitting there, and this guy's telling us the story of this critter. He says, oh, look, there's a coney. It's a rock badger. Bible calls them rock badgers. I said, that's a rock chuck. We shoot those things for fun. He says, yeah, you don't get to do that here. We don't shoot nothing here. (laughs) But they're in the Bible. The cliffs are a refuge for the rock chucks. God, in his planning of the world... He made a place for everything. And there's a place for you too. It's a place for me. It's a place we fit. And it's, it's some place that God has ordained. Look at the order of creation, verse 19. He appointed the moon for seasons and the sun knows it's going down. You make darkness and it is night in which all the beasts of the forest creep about. The young lions roar after their prey, seek their food, where? From God. Who's in control of it all? Well, just random. Just random. That, that, that lion got that prey. Just random. You know, you know, I used to think that it didn't matter to God. I don't see it that way no more. I think it all matters. I think it all has a purpose. Because the word of God, poetically, I know it's poetically talking, but 
the young lions, they're looking for prey and they seek their food from God. God feeds them. God feeds the sparrows. God takes care of his creations. Just amazing. When the sun rises, they gather together and they lie down in their dens, talking about the lions. And man goes out to his work and to his labor until the evening. That's God's plan. That's God's purpose. Man works. Sometimes man lives his whole life to work to the point where he don't have to do it no more. The funny thing is, well, maybe I don't want to say anything. The funny thing is, most of the time when man runs out of purpose, man dies. They had a nickel for every time somebody retired just in time to cash in his ticket and go meet his maker. Now, that doesn't mean a man can't change his job from some work, working in the field to now working for something else. But man's always got to have a purpose. Man wasn't created but to have a purpose. Adam had the garden, right, from day one. The animals to tend, the garden to care for. Verse 24, O Lord, how manifold are your ways. In wisdom, you have made them all. What's that mean? Everything put together with a specific function and for a specific purpose. The earth is full of your possessions. Who owns it all? Yeah, he made it. It's his. If he made it, it's his. So why could the clay say to the potter, yeah, you, you can't do this? No, that's the potter. The potter gets to do his thing. Right? And we are the clay and he is the potter. Right? Is he a, an evil, wicked potter trying to destroy us? No, he's a good, loving potter who has purposes for his creation. And he puts us together, I believe, with a plan. This great and wide sea in which are innumerable teeming things. How many things live in the ocean? Oh, man. Living things both small and great. And there are ships that sail about. And there's that Leviathan. I love that the Bible puts stuff like that in there so we have to all go, what do you think it was? I don't know. I don't know. It's a word for twisted serpent. Twisted serpent. Uh, so, and then, so, so, so then they go to it. They point to it and they say, it's probably a crocodile. Wow, that's funny. A lot of things went through my mind with twisted serpent. Crocodile was not one of them. Right? I don't know what Leviathan is, whether it was, you know, some kind of prehistoric creation, whether he's talking about a whale, talking about a great fish. I don't know. Yeah. Whether he's talking about something like Loch Ness, whether he's talking about a dragon, I don't know. I just know there are a lot of strange things that have lived in this earth that aren't here no more. Right? But he's saying, look, you did it. You, there was that Leviathan which you have made to play there. It's like even this incredibly, whatever this beast was, whatever this thing was. Oh, I unplugged myself. Whatever that beast was, God in his plan, he even created a place to play. Because God has a purpose, right? The book of Ecclesiastes tells us there's a time for everything under heaven. Everything? Yeah. There's a time for everything. God has a purpose and a plan in it all. In verse 27, these all wait for you that you may give them their food in due season. You take care of it all. 
that what you give them, they gather in. You open your hand, and they're filled with good. If you hide your face, they're troubled. You take away their breath, they die, and return to the dust. You send forth your spirit, and they are created. Who's in control? There's just no, to me, there's just no escaping that idea. Um, And you renew the face of the earth. So may the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. For he looks on the earth and it trembles. He touches the hills and they smoke. God's got it. And what what you see is when this guy just thinks about the control of our creator and and the way he cares for things, it brings about his desire to praise. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. May my meditation be sweet to him. What's my meditation? When I think about him. When I th- That's what this whole psalm is, right? This guy, whoever he is, sitting down and just thinking about all the things God takes care of. May my meditation be sweet. Well, our meditation will be elevating. Why? Because God is huge. He's immense. He's eternal. He's incredible. He's transcendent. And we know that our meditation will be sanctifying. Why? Because God is holy. And if we meditate on His holiness, it's sanctifying. It works in us as well. And that meditation... It's going to be blessed. Why? Because God says, if you meditate on me, I want to pour out my fullness of joy. Just like the trees are full of water, just like everything has what it needs, God says, I want to give it to you. Not some secret he withholds. It's something he wants to reveal. And he says, I will be glad in the Lord. So may sinners be consumed from the earth. Let's get rid of all the wickedness. The wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. The response of the psalmist considering God's incredible creation. Not only his creation, but his sustaining and providential influence over it all. God's good. And there's lots of reasons for us to praise him. Even in the midst of a crazy world. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray.